knowing um, his account of Jesus' life with a brief genealogy, or better still, a family tree. So the gospel's opening words carried significant um, importance for a Jewish audience whose ancestry was linked to God's covenant with Abraham. And here we see um, Matthew beginning with Abraham in verse 2. It says Abraham was a father of Isaac. So the, the, the covenant that God had with Abraham was established um, as Israel being God's chosen people. And it affirmed that the whole world also were blessed through Abraham. We see that in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 12. And in this family tree of Jesus, in this genealogy, we have about five women. We have Tamar, we have Rahab, we have Ruth in, in verse 5. And we also have Bathsheba, who is here called the wife of Rhea in verse 6. And lastly, in verse 16, we have Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. Three of these women were of questionable character, and two of them were Gentiles. And simply put, if you were asked who a Gentile is, a Gentile is a person who isn't Jewish. And so a person who doesn't trace um, um, his bloodline or her bloodline straight to Abraham in that sense. And so here we have two Gentiles, Rahab and Ruth. In verse 5, it says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And so my goal this morning is not um, to um, explain the entire um, verses that we just read, the entire 16 verses. That would be very impossible, and I wouldn't want to um, put you through that. But what I want to do is to focus on these two women, Rahab and Ruth, who are Gentiles. And we read briefly their accounts in, in Joshua chapter 2 and in Ruth chapter 1. And in looking at these two women, uh, I just I saw just three um, significant or similarities um, between these these two women. And the first one I've already mentioned that you know they are Gentiles, but what I want to call them rather than using the word Gentile, I'll use the word foreigners. So they were foreigners. I said we are going to look at three um, similarities between these these two women, Rahab and Ruth. So if you have your Bible, you can just turn um, back to Joshua, where we read Joshua chapter 2. And we'll also be making um, references to, to Ruth chapter 1. So what's going on here in Joshua chapter 2? Um, we know that the children of Israel have already left um, um, Egypt, where they were in bondage for 400 years. And here, after the death of Moses... In verse 1 of Joshua, we are told that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And Joshua had sort of stepped in and taken the place of Moses as, as the leader of Israel. And he was not just, um, he was a different kind of leader in that sense. He was more of a military leader. And so Israel, we are sort of marching in to take the land that God had promised to Abraham. And here in, verse, in the first seven verses of, of Joshua chapter 2, we're told that Joshua sent spies to spy the land, especially Jericho. And we may remember that in the book of Numbers, Moses had also set, sent 12 spies um, to look at the land. 
And out of those 12, only two came out, you know, which came back rather with positive reports. And really, this, uh, as I see Joshua just sending two, I don't know if he felt that he had to choose the, the best two who would come back with a true report. But that's not, um, that's, that number is not significant. But he sent two spies. And when they arrived at the land, they went in, we are told, um, to the house of a prostitute, Rahab. So who is Rahab? Rahab, as I said, was a foreigner. She was a Canaanite, a Canaan city in Jericho. She was part of the people in that land. And it was not just that she was sort of in a different land from Israel. But when we look deep at the practices, at the things that were going on in the land of Jericho, we will realize that they being Gentiles was not just because they were, in that sense, different from the Jews, but also because they were far from God. In the book of Leviticus, um, chapter 18, in verse 3, we are told, uh, God tells uh, Israel through Moses, he says, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their status. And why was God saying you shall not walk in their status? Was it just because they were different from Israel? No. Because they worshipped false gods. And their practices were evil. They sacrificed their children to their gods, to Molech. They practiced bestiality. A word that I wouldn't want to define for you, but it involves practices between a person and an animal. And these were the things going on in this land. And furthermore, in the book of Deuteronomy, God tells Israel that when they get possession of the land, they should clear away the nations. They should devote them completely to destruction. They should show no mercy. They should destroy them quickly. They should break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop them down. And God says, do not serve their gods. And so Canaan was not just, you know, different from Israel, geographically speaking. But spiritually, they were far from God. They served false gods. And this was the community that Rahab belonged to. She was a foreigner, both in identity as a Canaanite and in her lifestyle as a worshiper of the false gods of the land and as a prostitute, we are told here. In the same way, Ruth was also a foreigner. She was a Moabatist. If you know the book of, uh, of Ruth, if you've read it as, as we've read, and if you've read it before, you realize that um, Elimelech and his family went to the land of Moab as a means of escaping the famine in Israel. And he took along his two sons, Marlon and, she, and Shilion, and his wife, Naomi. And while he was there, he died. And his two sons, we're told, the two Moabites' wife, or Moabites' wives, and one of that was Opa and the other Ruth. And after 10 years, they die. 
And so Naomi is left without her sons and her husband. And her goal then is to return back to Israel, to Bethlehem in Judah. In Genesis chapter 19, we thought of uh, the origin of, of, of the people of Moab. In Judges chapter 3, their king was one of the kings that oppressed Israel. But also Ruth, just as Rahab, she was not just a Moabatite, geographically speaking. She was not just a foreigner in that sense. But she was also a foreigner to God, spiritually. In verse 15, as Naomi is joining back to, um, to, to Judah, and she's pleading with um, Opha and Ruth to, to return, not to go along with her. And finally, Opha kissed her mother-in-law, and she returned, but Ruth clung to her. What are we told in verse 15? Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. And just like Canaan, Moab was an idolatrous land. And just like Rahab, Ruth was a foreigner to God and his people. And it's simple for us. We could ask, well, how do we make sense of this? How do we think of this in our own situation? Well, are we in a foreign land? Geographically speaking, many of us here are. Spiritually speaking, well, we're in a church, and by God's grace, we're in a place where we're serving the true God. But outside here, we are in a foreign land. Now think of the wider world. It is a world that is completely away from God. It is a world that serves false gods. Maybe not a world that we have temples where we physically sacrifice to gods and idols. But what? How many people in this world, how many people here, can say for a certain that the number one person in their life is God. Let's think of it for a moment. Yes, we, we could have those who, who completely deny God's existence. Let's keep that for a moment and ask ourselves, do I often think that, well, if there is a God, if he exists, he exists just to meet my need. God's existence is just to meet my own need. And in doing that, well, you become the master, right? So it's all about you and in no way about God. In Colossians 1 verse 21, Paul describes the previous life of the Col Colossians before they came to God. It says, and you 
who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. To being a Gentile could be yes. In that sense, the geographical location of the land and the people. But of greater importance, it is one being alienated from God, being a stranger to him. And people don't just stop at being, at being alienated from him. They are hostile to him. See, anything but anyone except God. The alienation from God does not breed neutrality. Let's think of uh, our various temples today. Uh, temples in education, uh, temples in science, uh, temples in pleasure, uh, temples in identity. It is anything but God. And somehow, you know, today people think that since we have technology and all that well, we can design for ourselves a better world. We do not need God. And our world is not different from the world our roots and Rahab lived. Let's go back to the sacrificing of, of their kids, of their children to Molech. Well, can you think of another child sacrifice that takes place today? And people fight vigorously for this. The fight and tell and say, the only way a woman can be of equal worth to a man is if she has the right to kill her child, to end her child in the womb. And people say this without any remorse. Because it is a battle for equality. It is a battle that it's all about me, what I want, what I desire. And who is God to tell me not to murder? Well, if you're thinking about that and you say, okay, well, maybe I don't, I've never thought of, of that. Well, Jesus says, if you've ever been angry at your brother or your sister, you've already committed murder in your heart. So friends, Rahab and Ruth, they remind us, and their word reminds us that our word has not changed in so many ways. It is still the same word that is far and alienated from God and is hostile to him. And secondly, they were not just foreigners. 
that we are women of faith. And in seeing them as women of faith, here I see God, God's grace reaching out to them. And going back to Joshua, we see that the matter is reported to the king, who in turn sends word to Rahab. And what does Rahab do? She, she hides the spies and covers it up. Like here we see uh, a description of what happens and not a prescription. So it's not saying that uh, we should lie. That's not what, what is going on here. It just describes what happened. And the king then sends men on a pursuit, a pursuit that I call um, an empty pursuit or a wild, wild goose chase, as, as some people might want to, to call it. Because the men have been hidden in, in Rahab's house, and so they are just um, going after something that they would, they would never achieve in that sense. And in, from verse 9 to 14, we, we see Rahab's statement of faith. In verse 9, she says to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Let's think of that. I know. She says for a certain that she knows that God has given us land to Israel. And it's not just any God. In our English translation, we, we have um, it capitalized, L-O-R-D. Here, that's God's personal name, Yahweh. She distinguishes him from the little gods in the land. So what she's saying in, in essence is, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. And what's the basis of our knowledge? What's the basis of our faith? Verse 10 describes that to us. She says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. When you came out of Israel, of Egypt rather. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. And who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og. Whom you devoted to destruction. She had heard. They all had heard all that God has done. His mighty works. And we read part of that in, in Psalm 135. And also in Psalm 136 you can see that. And the preceding books from, from Exodus to Deuteronomy recounts all God had done with small Israel. How he had destroyed great kings. How he had parted the Red Sea. How he had miraculously delivered Israel from Egypt. You see, faith in God is not a leap into the dark. Rahab had heard God's mighty works. And she declares that he is God in heavens above and on earth beneath. We'll come back to that thought. But let's look again at the reaction. Because many people have read the Bible, but it breeds different reactions. And in the same way here in the land of Canaan, 
in hearing God's mighty works through Israel. The first reaction was one of fear and terror. In verse 11, she says, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. All the inhabitants literally softened. They dissolved into terror. Fear had gripped them. Their spirit had fell. And there was no power to fight anymore. And Rahab was one of those who were fearful because she says all of us were afraid. But why was Rahab the only one who showed faith? You know, when the spies came and the king and all in the land, all the people in the land had seen that Israel were advancing. Where didn't they say, okay, now we are scared and we know that because God had defeated kings mightier than us, well, he's going to destroy us too. Why didn't they just submit? Why did Rahab, why was she the only one who exhibited faith? Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And so the fear actually led to two reactions. One was faith in obedience and the other was disobedience. Rahab showed faith and the others in their fear showed disobedience. And the same way, if we go back to Ruth, we'll see Ruth also as a woman of faith. In the same way, Ruth may have heard from Naomi of the stories of of the works of God in the past, of how he had delivered Israel, how he had chosen them as his own people. And what does she do? She says to, to Naomi in verse 16, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. She identifies with the God of Israel. But in the same way, just as the others in the land of Canaan reacted in disobedience, what Oprah does here is to turn her back and return to the gods of the land. Ruth makes a different commitment. And Boaz in Ruth chapter 2, chapter two verse 12 he commends her for this. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And the full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Under whose wings 
you have come to take refuge. That is faith in the God of Israel. Taking refuge in him. Let's return back to the idea that faith in God is not a leap in the dark. It's a, this was the basis of their faith, that they had the mighty works of God. And in the same vein, it is a normal way of coming to faith. You see, biblical faith and trust in God is based on at least some knowledge of him. Faith is not just a warm, cozy feeling about God. Faith grows out of hearing what God has done for his people. Again, why was Rahab and Ruth's reaction different? How does faith come about? Is it something that we can all engineer? No. Faith is a gift from God. And it is his grace. Because Rahab and Ruth were not in any way different. There was nothing special about them. There was nothing unique about them. But it was God who caused them to trust in him. And yes, trusting God, believing in him, it's a real battle for many of us. Because for many of us, we have, we have read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We have seen God do many things in our lives. We have seen him fulfill his promises in so many people's lives. We have said we trusted in Jesus. But yeah, there are days that faith in him is difficult. You see, this is not some emotionalism or sentimentalism. It's not trust in God or have faith in him or believe in him because you woke up on the right side of bed this morning. Well, maybe you did. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? But are you still going to trust and believe in God? Because he is the same God who parted the Red Sea. He is the same God who overthrew kings. He is the same God who walked in your life yesterday. And so trusting in him, having faith in him, the basis is not on how you feel. It's not on your situation. It is on the fact that he is the God of yesterday. He is the God of today. And he is the God of tomorrow. And he never changes. And yes, many things happen in our lives that we have absolutely no idea why. They all cause us questions. But are we going to trust 
and believe in him. You see, if faith in God is a leap in the dark, then when you don't feel good about it, don't take the leap. But if it's a walk in light, into the light of what God has done and what he's doing and what he continues to do, The Bible tells us that the light of Christ has come into the world. But men prefer darkness to light. You see, what what causes you or I to see the light? It's not because somehow we, we have the power to come up with this great fate. No. It's because that God that parted the Red Sea also works in our lives and in our hearts. And the story of Rahab and Ruth tells us that God works in people's lives. You do not forget God's promises. Do not forget his works of old. When you feel as though the whole world is, is crashing down on you. Trust in God. Believe in him. Hold on to him. And cling to him. Who else are you going to trust? The false idols that would definitely fail you. The false idols couldn't deliver Jericho from, from God. He couldn't save them from being destroyed. But faith in God saved Rahab. Faith in God caused Ruth to take refuge in him. And going back to um, to Rahab, we see that her faith led not just to a statement of faith in God, but because the faith was genuine, she made a request. Verse 12 to, to 14, she tells the spies, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters. See here, she's making a request because I have done this to you because I believe that God, the Lord has given you this land. Please, will you save my family? Genuine faith never rests content with being convinced of the reality of God. But it presses on to take refuge in him. So let's not just sit and say, I believe in God. No, let's truly run to him. 
Let's truly take refuge in him. And Rahab and Ruth were not just foreigners. They were not just women of faith. But we see also that Rahab and Ruth are in God's family. In, in Joshua chapter 6, where uh, after the walls of Jericho fell down, and Joshua tells um, the spies to go into the house of, of Rahab. In verse 22 of chapter 6, he says, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out, from the, bring out there the woman and all who belong to her, as he swore to her. So they brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and all who belonged to her and put them outside the camp of Israel. Later on, we're told that she lived in Israel to this day. She became part of, of God's people. She became part of God's family. In the same way, Ruth, what happened to her? After she had returned to the land with Naomi, her mother-in-law, he told the story of how she got married to Boaz. He, he redeemed, her, redeemed her. But beyond the immediate redemption of Ruth, we see the account of how she gave birth to a child whose name was Obed. And through Obed, we have Jesse, the father of David. And in Ruth chapter 4, we are given the account, tracing it back to, to Perez, and how Jesse became the father of David. And the same way Rahab was in, in that bloodline. So how, how do we make sense of this? Especially when, when we go back to, to Matthew chapter 1. And we ask, okay, with all these names, what do we think of this? See, first, Rahab and Ruth, they had no earthly idea that the events of their lives was a means being used by God to achieve his purpose, to bring about the coming of the Savior. They had no idea what was going on. And we can ask ourselves, what is going on today in our world? And oftentimes we, we see three answers. We see people who, who we tell us that, well, that we are here by, by chance. That somehow we appeared here suddenly out of nothing with no purpose. And so what we have to do is to make out one for ourselves. And second, we we'll hear of those who will tell us that, well, maybe there is a God, but he's gone on a vacation. He's completely detached from the world. He's not interested in it. But the Bible presents a completely different picture. The Bible says that there is a God behind the universe. And this God is working out everything according to his plan. And his purpose. 
You think of it. Rahab was in a completely different land. Ruth in a completely different land. Not even part of God's chosen people. Yet, God reached out to them and used them to accomplish his purpose. Rahab couldn't have imagined that that scarlet cord was not just a means of saving her from immediate destruction. But it was also, in a strange way, a means of saving many from eternal destruction. Rahab was under no illusion that a redeemer in Boaz was to lead to the birth of the redeemer, Jesus, the Messiah. You see that their ordinary mundane lives was bigger than they could ever imagine. That God was working out their lives using their failures, using their sins, using the good things and the bad things in their lives to accomplish his purpose. And you see, many of us, we, we think that if we would amount to any usefulness in life, it must be if we're in the corridors of power, fame, or great importance. Whereas God is calling you to faithfulness in the very little. Because it is something greater than you. The universe, the world, is God's. He designed it. And he's not on vacation. He is working out every little thing in the world to accomplish his purpose. And what is the big purpose? Well, we said partly that it is the coming of the Messiah Christ. And it's not just the child in the manger. God's purpose has always been the Christ on the cross. So that through that, he may redeem his people and save his children. And so what is God doing in the world? He's building his family. So when we think of, of the family tree of Jesus, it doesn't, just, it doesn't stop there. But somehow Christ has drawn many of us to be in him, to be part of that family. And in Hebrews chapter 2, it says from verse 10, for it was fitting that he for whom, by all, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory and making the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Above all that is going on in your life, can Christ look on you this morning 
and say, you are my brother. You are my sister. You are in God's family. Because if you haven't come to trust in this God, if you haven't come to trust in this Savior, since this is God's big purpose for the universe, if you haven't come to trust him, then you are still a foreigner to God. You're still away from his people. And again, if you've come to trust him, and there are many things going on in your life, and you know, you ask yourself, I have no earthly idea why this happened. Or if you turn on the news and you, you hear of many things going on around the world, and that causes you heartache. Well, maybe these words by Spurgeon can help. He says, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. Friends, the world is not spinning out of control. The things in your life are not unknown to God. He knows every detail of it. And you can trust him. Back to the Christmas message. Rahab and Ruth. As they live their life. As God used the details of their life. To bring about the Messiah to Israel. What happens? As the Messiah comes, the very people who were the chosen of God rejected him. He came down to his own people. They did not receive him. But the promise is that to all who did receive him, who believed, who trusted in his name, who trusted in Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were not born, not of blood. Or who were born rather, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. So whether they were Gentiles or Jews, whether you were Moabites or Canaanites, whether you're from Nigeria or England or Zimbabwe or anywhere in the world, when you believe and trust in him, you become a child of God. Isn't that a great privilege? To be born of God. Are you born of God? Not trusting in your lineage. But trusting in Christ, holding on to Him, clinging to Him every day of your life. 
Friends, there is, there is no other person to trust. Now take a step back and ask yourself, who else can you trust? Yourself? Your pastors? Or let's take it out there. Our great and wonderful leaders. Or let's think of other religious leaders. There is no other person in whom when you trust, you have the certainty that you are God's. That you have the assurance that you are his. This is not go outside and, and make things work for yourself. It is trust in him because there is no other person to trust. And when you're living your life and realize that if you are a child of God, the purpose of your life is bigger than you can ever imagine. Because one who is bigger than you is behind it all. And you can rest in that. You can rest in that assurance that he knows and he cares. Amen.